Welcome to the Rogue Psalm Podcast. This is Nate Winters. Today is about housekeeping. I've been absent from this for quite some time now. I haven't recorded anything since uh, I think it was March. So this is basically some housekeeping to get everybody up to speed on what my crazy life has turned into. Um, since March, I've taken on a new position um, along with Troon. I haven't left Troon by any means. They'll have to get rid of me if it's up to them. So <laughs> I wouldn't. I'm not leaving. Um, but the new position I've taken is at a premier restaurant here in Southern Oregon called Peerless. Um, it's an upscale restaurant with a heavy influence on local and seasonal options. Uh, the chef is Harlan Brooks, and he recently bought the place and has started to layer in a lot of his own intentions. And when the chef has intentions and visions, along with the freedom to execute them, that's where I get a lot of optimism. He's got somewhat of a French flair with things, it seems, but I don't want to speak for him. So you know, maybe I could get him on the podcast one of these days. The position I have is called wine director, which is basically called for all of my free time recently. Um, they had a very wide and broad wine list, um, and there weren't really intentions behind why these bottles were on the list. With over 50% of the wines being from Napa Valley, it really muddled everything. You know, Napa Valley wines don't really go well with the type of food Harlan's putting out. So I'm trying to tailor and refine the list to match the intentions of the restaurant. Napa wines tend to be very fatiguing on the palate, uh, usually pretty extracted, full-bodied. Um, and Harlan's food has added an element of refinement to the restaurant that I want to match with the wines from Burgundy, Piedmont, Bordeaux, Spain, Germany, Italy, etc. There will be a lot more options at play that will complement the food a lot better. I also like to play with higher acid and lower alcohol wines, um, along with more of a natural wine approach to enliven the menu. So that's, that's been rather fun. Um, being in Southern Oregon, I only have access to so many distributors and those distributors only have access to so many wines. So I would love to have a lot more um, a higher ceiling to choose from for these wines. But for the time being, I'm trying to make do the best I can. I've also been educating the staff at the restaurant um, most Saturdays, every Saturday that I can become available. It's quite the opportunity uh, that most restaurants just don't provide for their staff, uh, the chance to learn and build their knowledge on the food and the wines that are available. So every day, Harlan holds a pre-shift, is what they call it, a lineup, uh, where the chef will go over specials and the items on the menu, um, exactly what the, the ingredients are, how it's prepared, so everybody's on the same page and can convey what the dish will be to the guest. The bar manager, Hannah, she gets to go over her cocktails and specials as well, the drink of the day, explaining things, as well as pouring a cocktail that we all get to have a sample of to really get a feel for what they're selling. After that, then I get the floor, um, and I choose various topics to educate on. I've done wine tasting, um, specific regions, um, but I started with how grapes grow and what makes our region of Southern Oregon different in the context of climate and geology compared to the rest of the world and why that matters. Um, recently, I offered a tasting grid for everybody to provide a base foundation of how to assess a wine, learn how to more accurately speak to guests and guide them to a bottle they want. You know, when you're a server on a restaurant floor, that's what you're doing for the most part. You know, people are coming in and they have, unless they're repeat customers, first-time customers or people trying things they don't know yet, it takes you as a steward 
to steward them through a wine list or through a menu and build trust to allow them to pick, say, a bottle of wine they've never heard of or never had before. Um, it's, a, it's a gamble sometimes. I can admit to that. You know, Buying a wine you've never had before and you open it and then you absolutely hate it. Um, that's always a real struggle. So I just want to provide the best tools that I can to everybody so that they can help make the guest experience you know, truly memorable. So with all of that, along with inventory, um, ordering wines, rearranging the cellar, there's a lot that's going into this that's taken most of my time. So I'm trying to get all these browser tabs I have open in my mind closed and um, maybe a system to help manage these all better. One of my New Year's resolutions, sounds corny to even say that, but one of them was to have less browser tabs open in my life. And I've kind of boiled them down to three or four windows, but each window has multiple tabs open. So it doesn't seem like I've fulfilled my own promise to myself very well. So we'll see how we go forward. That's kind of what's been taking my time in the restaurant area. There's still Troon that goes on, and there's a lot of things at Troon that have been taking my time as well. Of course, it's a full working farm with a lot of diversity. There's the chickens and dogs and sheep and a garden, and, and there's a lot to manage. We're short on a winemaking staff right now. We just have the winemaker. So as we bring on an assistant winemaker and a, a farm hand, um, we are all kind of chipping in our own time more and more. The tasting room employees have you know, volunteered their time to take care of the animals as well as myself. It's really nice to be able to go down there and feed the dogs, entertain the dogs, get to know the sheep better. Um, so that's that's also at play. There's been a couple more recognition or acknowledgments that Troon has achieved. Um, one being the ROC, which is a regenerative organic certification. Um, and that kind of takes it that that next step. I mean, biodynamics is a regenerative form of farming um, and composting and cover crop and it incorporates all of that. But the ROC is an overarching umbrella that really is a more accurate depiction of kind of what we're doing here. Um, it also includes welfare of people and the animals on the farm, which you don't have to have, but they, you know, of course in biodynamics, there's a minimum animal sanctuary, wildlife habitat requirements you have to meet with your land and et cetera. But the ROC is a really accurate description of what we're trying to do with regenerative agriculture on our farm. We've incorporated more dinners recently and what we call experiences for 2021. You can have a private winemaker dinner. You can have a private tour. Um, I give educational tastings. So things that we can layer in more intimacy in the whole guest experience. And that's been a, a roller coaster and, and really fun in general. Oregon Wine Experience has kicked off recently. Um, Troon is being involved with that as well as the restaurant Peerless. Um, we're hosting the judges uh, this past weekend. We actually hosted them, which was lovely to have all of them look at the wine list and the menu and really enjoy that. You have these kind of people that are wine writers, wine educators, master sommeliers and masters of wine in the house at the restaurant. That's wonderful. I mean, they're going to talk about it in their circle of friends and their circle of friends are going to talk about it to their circle of friends and et cetera. It's good word of mouth and promotion and marketing. Um, so I was glad to be able to be involved in that. But also for Troon's sake, um, we don't enter any wine in the competition aspect, but we do want to participate and be involved in the community. So um, on all fronts, it, it's nice. There's more travel coming up for me as well. So that's going to be one to juggle. Um, I'll try to take the microphone with me on the road, but I have plans for Toronto 
in September, as well as after Toronto. The next week, I'll be in New York and Vermont and Michigan. So four different um, states, three states, one different country in a matter of three weeks. So I'll be gone for three weeks at a time. Um, that'll be really exciting for me. I'm looking forward to that. I've not done a sales trip like that in the past. So this will be a first. And I love different cultures, experiencing different food and different people and different drinks of what they do in their region compared to where we are in our region. Um, you learn a lot from different cultures. So look forward to that as well. That's basically the housekeeping notes. Um, you can consider them as excuses of, as to why I have not been recording recently. Um, I'm going to work on changing that. Thank you for your patience, everybody. Um, I look forward to the next episodes coming out. I'm going to have some chefs on, more people from the wine industry. Um, and then who knows, even people that are just interesting people to talk to, I think could be interesting too, along with solo educational episodes. I figured the housekeeping, we would lay that out first, and then why not get into a couple minutes here of just some passion and, uh, for lack of better words, emotions that I felt on my last trip up north. I, I'd say last week, yeah, it was about a week ago, I went up north to McMinnville to host the judges um, at the Atticus Hotel. I got the opportunity to pour Troon wine for them. And this was, uh, this was on Wednesday of last week. So I woke up on Tuesday the 13th and started getting my things ready for my work trip. Had an opportunity, uh, you know, to, to leave bright and early, which is awesome. So this past week has been relatively smoky due to local forest fires and, you know, just fires in general. And it looks like our fire season's beginning a lot earlier than we anticipated. So with the smell of ash in the air, as I get to my car, I'm thinking I cannot wait to get north because I'm hoping the air quality is better up there. So get in the road. About an hour into the drive, you really notice the obvious difference of air quality uh, there's a big mountain range, of course, that we are settled in here. And once you get over these passes and into the Eugene, Roseburg area, the smoke was kind of restricted by those mountains. So kind of broke out of it. This particular trip I put on uh, see YouTube interviews done by one of my favorite platforms. Um, it's called Vlad TV. Vlad TV is typically a, a hip hop artist interviewer. He does a lot of interviews with a lot of different people, though, from celebrities to hip hop artists to crime scene or old mob guys, you know, just interesting things that I don't usually come across in my day-to-day -day life. And I found myself really immersed in the discussions being had and my mood was really great. Um, so it really inspired me to want to get back on this train. It's about three and a half, four hours to get to McMinnville where I live. And once I got to Salem, it's really short the rest of the way for me. Getting out of Salem and into the Eola Amity Hills, it really starts to feel comforting. And this is where the double-edged sword comes into play that I want to talk about today. You know, as you drive down these rural roads, you pass by a lot of agriculture from flowers to hops, orchids, and grapevines, countless mom and pop organic farm stands in their yards. It's just a nice blissful feeling to drive by all of this. But then out of nowhere, I met with a site that I have really a hard time not being judgmental towards, and that's tillage. I rounded this corner on the highway and all I could see was a giant cloud of dust, a behemoth of a tractor pulling a plow behind it that was kicking up, you know, enough dust to cast a shadow on the ground. Now, some of you may wonder why this causes so many emotions to build inside of me. So let's talk about it a little bit. I've been totally immersed at Troon over the past six years. And with this immersion comes 
a natural bias. I'm aware of this, and I'm working on being as objective as I can when I speak about these kinds of subjects, you know, admitting openly that I do not know everything, and I do not have all the possible ways to be efficient in sustainability, in carbon emissions, etc. So this is more of me thinking out loud than it is saying, I've got the solutions. Regenerative agriculture has definitely changed my life in quite a few ways, but mainly it's shifted my core values, following integrity and intentions and trying to find that within all products. That's where my values lie these days. And as I see traditional agriculture methods in place and being used, all I can think about is, why are they doing this? You know, I asked myself the same questions and, and I never thought about these before. The way I grew up and in my family, you know, there was there wasn't much conscious effort put towards these kinds of things in a presence of organic and whatnot. You know, um, is this all the, the, the all that they know? Is it because they think it's what they need to do? Have they tried other methods of cultivation and weren't satisfied with those results, so they went back to this? You know, can they not afford to make the changes in their methods so they stay complacent, or do they just not think about it at all? You know, we have this little monkey mind in our heads that likes to create a story for us to go on and on about these situations. And my monkey mind starts working immediately here saying, shit, does this guy not have any clue what he's doing right now? Doesn't he know that tillage is way more destructive than it is beneficial? Or this guy must be an old farmer stuck in his ways. Boy, someone should teach him a thing or two. You know, like, listen to me, who the, <laughs> who the hell am I to say any of this? You know, so all this chatter in my head is the ego and and I'm, I'm more and more aware of this every day and I'm trying to manage my monkey mind of an ego um, better. Rather than assume I know something they don't, I'd prefer to understand the situation and why these people make the decisions they're making. In the restaurant game, for example, for the guest, understanding can make all the difference in the world in which mood they will adopt at any moment. Having an angry guest as a server is not fun. They've been waiting for their food forever or been waiting for you to refill their beverage for a while. Um, the, their food is cold, whatever it may be. You know, they're angry and that's hard to deal with. The, the simple solution that I've found for this is just explaining to the guest and providing an understanding. Excuse me, sir, but I have a lot of food to run right now. You know, I see you need a refill. Let me go drop these plates off and I'll be right back with that for you. Does that sound all right? Something along those lines will usually snuff out any impatience from the guest because they now know what you're doing and why you're taking longer than usual. So again, providing understanding or context or explaining things usually will alleviate the anger and provide for more patience. So that's what I mean when I like to say understanding the perspective of these people because it would provide me with more patience in observing them doing their tilling. Maybe they just need to provide me with the understanding as to why they're doing these things. But again, who the hell am I to deserve an explanation from a stranger? Why does it even bother me what they're doing? Um, I can get off in the weeds here really easily, but this is uh, what we're doing for the greater good. In this day and age, we have a lot of issues with that, um, from vaccines to, to many other political choices, but the, the world is, is obviously undergoing different changes of climate, carbon you can follow being in the air and being in the ground. And in the past, we've had this balance of a certain amount of carbon in the ground and a certain amount in the atmosphere. 
we're noticing a big shift on where that is. There is less carbon in the ground and more in the atmosphere, which that one term we're all familiar with hearing, the, the greenhouse effect is definitely starting to take place. And there's, there's plenty of ways that we can address this situation. The one that's most resonating with me because of my career choice is farming and regenerative farming, finding ways to pull carbon from the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. That's the biggest change that, that we could make as a society and a civilization. By not tilling, you can sequester so much more carbon and keep it in the ground. Every time you till, you're breaking up the fungal network, you're losing water, you're evaporating the water, you're exposing more oxygen to the ground, the tractor tires are compacting the soil, making the oxygen deplete from them. So it's, it's like this perpetual one thing leading to the next by doing these. Plants, trees, grapevines, produce, it's all a way of pulling carbon from the air and putting it into the soil and into the plant and recycling it. So a farm in a context is, is a carbon sink. And so that's really where, where my values are coming from recently. When I see people doing these destructive things to the property, it goes back to all those questions I just asked. Is it because that's all they know? Is it because that's what they think they should be doing? Did they try other ways of doing farming and they weren't satisfied with their results? You know, where do people's values lie? Is it in money or in profit margins or in quantity of produce? Or is it to have a sustainable approach for your kids and your kids' kids? You know, we have to really assess where our values lie to make these dis these decisions and, and make the right decisions going forward. So again, to kind of tie this whole rant back together, um, that, that was kind of where I was at on my trip up north and where my mind started going. And then naturally I felt a pride start to seep into me about where I work. And, and uh, when you're proud of something or when you have something that you want to share with people, that's a fine balance of trying to figure out how to share it and when to share it, who wants to hear it, how to make it digestible. So even those who don't know they don't know about it or don't want to hear it actually tune their ear to you and will listen. Um, this is the struggle that, that a salesperson is dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. When I'm talking about regenerative agriculture to a wine shop owner, you know, why do they care about that? That's where I try to spill out my values and, and shed some light on how they can shift their values, not even to mine. You know, my values aren't always right, but just keeping a conscious mind of an open mind to continue to try to evolve your understanding of how we should do things as a civilization going forward for the greater good. And, uh, you know, with that, I'll shut the hell up and, and get off this soapbox Again, just a recap, I wanted to throw the housekeeping out there to get everybody up to speed. These were some um, some thoughts I've had in the past week about climate, about farming and agriculture as a whole. And you know, I, I love to have these kind of conversations in the future. If any of you see me in person, feel free to start one of these conversations with me, but be careful what you ask for because I like to talk about it, especially when wine gets involved. Uh, it makes the tongue a little looser and uh, we can have some fun. So I appreciate you tuning in for this episode of housekeeping and stay tuned for the next uh, episode, whether it be education or just a conversation.
Once again, this is the Rogue Psalm Podcast, and I'm Nate Winters. Thank you for your time. Thank you.